This is Christ-centered teaching. The first hour is going to be Christ-centered teaching. Um, and then the second is going to be on the principles. And we'll pull the tree back up and that kind of stuff. But let me, let me pray for us. Let me just open up. Lord Jesus, just thank you that you know us. You see us. You sought after us. You found us and saved us and brought us to your home, to yourself. Now, uh, just help me teach and be clear. And that these leaders would be blessed and helped so that they could point people to you. In Jesus, your precious name. Amen. All right. So, Christ in our teaching. Um, I've, I don't know how many, I've been doing this several years, uh, several years now. So I don't know how, how many of y'all have had um, classes on teaching the Bible? So like every, try to take it, everybody, pretty much every, a lot of people have classes on teaching the Bible. How many of y'all been to seminary? Been to seminary? Okay, cool. Yeah, we always have a lot of seminary guys uh, and girls. Um, and so what I'm going to tell you today is it. It's from the Bible, but it really is just sort of, it's kind of how I approach teaching. Um, So it's not a scholarly, surprise, surprise, it's not a scholarly, academic (laughs) approach to this. Um, But they've asked me to do it. And I think my my favorite, gosh, my favorite quote, I'm paraphrasing, when when it comes to teaching, or any artistic endeavor, because I love to, I like to do a lot of things like that, I like to... I like to write poetry, I like to write songs, I've like written songs longer than, than I've written sermons, and so I love the craft, I love creating things with words. Uh, my favorite quote is from Stephen Sondheim, who was a you know, great, he was a composer of musicals and things like that. But he said, God is in the details, content must um, must create the form. In other words, content must drive form. So like what you're doing, the content has to be there. And then here's the best part. Um, Everything in service to clarity. So like that that was his approach. Someone asked him like, how do you write, uh, how do you like approach when you think about creating, when composing? Everything's in service to clarity. So like content is key, but clarity and so that's when I, when I think about teaching, um, what, when I think about the teaching I'm doing, or especially when I'm teaching at RUF, or I'm preaching, this is a little different, when I'm preaching, um, or I'm t- teaching the Bible, I'm writing something, or I'm, I want, I strive to be clear. And I think when I listen to a lot of talks and things like that, even from like very well-meaning people, and it's full of Bible it's often, very often, not clear. It's sort of like, here's the bullseye, and it's like all over the bullseye. And you even said, like, there were, there were chunks of interesting things, but I had no idea what they were talking about. Mm. And to me, that, the, the takeaway for Christ-centered preaching is that when you're preaching Christ, that's the most important thing. Clarity should be the thing that's driving. Am I being clear? Not profound. That's kind of none of your business. <laughs> right? That's sort of like between you and Jesus, whether or not you're going to sort of blow someone's mind. 
Clarity is everything. Okay, that's what I believe. I believe clarity is everything, um, especially when we're working with students, right? Especially Gen Zs that we're all working with. Okay, so I'm going to break this down. Uh, Christ-centered preaching is about being clear, right? That's the title. Christ-centered preaching is about clarity, all in service to clarity. How do we get clarity in Christ-centered preaching or teaching? And I'm going to use preaching and teaching like synonymously because I don't know the difference. So okay, I just don't, I don't really. So first point is per, that it has to be personal. That's in you. It has to be relational. I'll explain what I mean by these terms. It has to be relational. And where's the third point? I know I had a third point. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Relational. It is personal. It's relational. And then it has to be proclaimed. And so the actual proclamation of it. So what's going on inside of me personally? How are my relational one-on-ones? And then what is it actually when I'm actually doing the thing, when I have my 25, 30 minutes, not 35 minutes, not 30, not 45 minutes, not, thou shalt not preach to students for 45 minutes. Um, um, Okay, so let's start, let's start with the personal. And, and this, I can't, I can't stress how this is kind of everything. Your time in the Word and you relating to God in the Word personally is like the mother of all of this. You and God, you and Father, Son, Holy Spirit, getting the Word into you is everything. <laughs> it's just it's just everything. Because you can't give what you don't have. You can't give a gospel that you don't have. And so what does it mean? You've got to get it. We talked about the gap between the head and the heart and all that kind of stuff. And God's at work and all that and us in different places and different. But like preaching that resonates with your heart has resonated with the heart of the preacher first. That makes sense? Preaching that has read. In other words, he's, he ate what he served you. And so how do you do that? You have to see your quiet time. And by the way, like, this is not what everybody does. I'm not saying, but you have to see your quiet time in the morning or in the afternoon, whatever you, whenever you do it, you have to see it as the most important part of your life. <laughs> like, along with the Lord's Supper and community and all those things. But I'm saying, Jesus befriends you in the silence. Experiencing Jesus Christ through the work of the Spirit in His Word. And so that means devouring the Bible. I'm always reading the Gospels. 
I'll read the other scriptures too. I, I, I go really, really slowly through the Bible and I take really small amounts of scripture because I have a very short attention span. I'm a very, I'm a very slow reader. And so I take very small chunks of scripture and I just deep dive into them. I use the Lectio Divina. I hope you all heard the Lectio Divina. Sacred reading. It's just a way, it's an ancient way of reading scripture. I, I use the Lectio Divina as often as I possibly can. And I can send you sort of what the Lectio Divina is. It's just a, basically a way of Hearing the word, read it out loud, meditating on a few words, driving those really deep into your heart, and then praying about them. And so what you find is like you just got to go micro when it comes to this. And then you sit still with the word. Part of the lecto, part of the lectio divina is being still. Eugene Peterson, the great Eugene Peterson said, good preaching or effective preaching comes from someone who has spent long a long amount of time being still with Jesus. <coughs> like it's being still with Jesus. And so people are like, well, you know, and here's the thing. Now we, now we bump up into like, what are you producing? What are you doing? What are you doing? So, then we go back to our, our tree, our philosophy of ministry. Like we have to really believe that our time with Jesus is, is so your Your people, your students, Needs you to be interacting, meditating, loving, devouring, savoring the Word of God in your life. Like, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Like, I, like, I know I'm preaching to the choir. And, and part of this is like discipline. You know, like part of this is it's just saying, like, I've got to do this. I don't, like, sometimes I don't always want to do it. But, like, you start building these habits, these habits. In other words, do not try to preach or teach the Bible unless you are living in the Gospels. Okay? Have I said it? How many times have I said it? Like I'm spazzing out. Which then flows into prayer. So devouring the Bible flows into prayer, which is the language of dependence. How many of y'all have read um, um, Michael Reeves' little book on prayer? Enjoying your prayer. Okay. It's great for your students too. I've done, I've done it with my students. With my, uh, animal suits is very it's, a, it's like basically a pamphlet it is so good I, I bet you can have them out there go get it, read it it is so rich and wonderful um, what he says, here's what he says he quotes Calvin, he says when we pray we pray through the mouth of Jesus like the kind of communion that's going on when we pray especially as we're responding to the word Yes. What is it called? Uh, Enjoying Your Prayer Life by Michael Lewis. It's like a little yellow book. So I want you to read that. Personal life also includes fellowship with friends that see you and know you and don't walk away. So the personal part is Brene Brown, Kurt Thompson, figure whoever you like better. Kurt Thompson wrote Anatomy of the Soul and Soul of Shame, and Brene Brown is like the most famous personal shame in the history of the human race. But they both agree on one thing. The only way for heal shame, which we all have shame, and it affects our teaching big time. Right? And the shame vulture over you before you before and after you teach, right? So how, what's, how does healing of shame work? Vulnerability in life-giving relationships. That's the only way shame is ever healed. So like we're all walking in like years and years and years of shame, some of us. And so what does it look like? How do you heal shame? With the word, with Jesus, and with two or three other people 
that see you that you're talking about the grossest, swampiest things inside your heart. Not just accountability group. Say, so what does that have to do with preaching? Everything with preaching. Everything with preaching. You want to go up and be free when you preach. And the only way to get rid of toxic shame is for you to like, stop hating yourself is to actually be around someone where you open your life up and they go like, I think you're great. Oh, really? Okay. I think I'm going to go teach those people at, y- at RYM, YLT, right? I think I can do that. So if you don't do it with your shame, you're going to rage on people. Right? You're going to manipulate them, all that kind of stuff. Fellowship, friends, I know I'm preaching the choir. Here's, and I'm just going to say this. Your regular attendance at communion and you preparing and being excited about going to the Lord's table to eat the Word in other words, before you ever verbalize the gospel, it's given to you non-verbally. You know how wonderful the Lord's Supper is? Like, yes, of course you do. But you realize that it's communicating the gospel in ways that shame has affected us limbically, that it's developmentally we're affected by shame, and God heals us and goes moves toward us in our guilt and shame in ways that we can't non-verbally express. We can't verbally express, so He comes to us non-verbally, literally in our teeth, drinking the wine. Like, I think if we're going to preach and teach the gospel, and we're going to, we're going to, I think we need to, before we say a word to people, we need to be eating and drinking the word. It's mysterious, very mysterious. But I think the Lord's Supper is something that we devour, devour, and, and, and meditate every week. Can't wait to go back. Can't wait to go back. Okay. Word, sacrament. I have, before I go on to my next point, because I, I can stop right there. Because everything you do with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Word and Sacrament, everything you do and say in your ministry is an overflow of that relationship. Period. Everything you do is an overflow of the relationship that you have, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with His people. Period. Everything else is details. All right, Henry Nowen said, your only vocation is to be loved by God and then to love His people. That's it. But I had a friend, a mentor, whatever you want to call it, a guy named Richard Siegel, and I love to tell this story. He was this guy from Philadelphia. I know we have some people from Pennsylvania. People from Philly. Yeah, Philly. He had this great Philly accent that I'm not going to attempt because you're in here. (laughs) But he was converted late in life. He had this wonderful way of talking. And I would call him on the phone and he'd say, Jesus wants to have supper with you. I've never forgotten Jesus wants to eat meals with you he wants to have fellowship with you he loves being with you and so I think of that table in word and in the sacrament and in fellowship as the place where I feast and then I go preach alright that's the personal part so the first thing I'm going to say is before you preach who are you and where are you? What is the gospel doing in you? Second, knowing people, relational. There's a great book called The Listening Life by Adam McHugh. That's a great book. 
I highly recommend that. It's about how to listen to people. It's about how to listen to the Word of God. It's about how to listen to like nature, how to listen. And we're, it's, I think the subtitle is like the, the Art of Listening in a Distracted World. The Listening Life by McHugh. And you spell his name, Nick H-U-G-H. So what is it, who are you, how are you listening to people? Okay, what does that mean? And now we're getting into like our philosophy of ministry. Um, we value individuals because God's at work listening to their stories. Your best preaching is coming because you're a good listener to the people you're preaching to. Like you're listening, really listening to what they're struggling with. You're listening both to verbal and nonverbal cues. You're listening to their story. You're listening to the art arc of their story. Every single story follows the story. Or as Dan Allender says, every, every story follows this pattern of the Bible. There's an experience of shalom flourishing. There is a shattering, an experience of the shattering of shalom. And then there is a process, Lord, by God's grace, of the renovation of shalom. Where are people in this story? Where are you feeling people? And that's why I, ask, I love asking students, hey, what was it like being seven? What were you, you like? And you're like, what are you talking about? I was like, what really, what were you just, because what I'm trying to get at, when, where were you at a time where everything was great? Just for a moment, maybe it was a second, and I'll say at the beach at my grandmother's house when we were making jam. And I said, what did it smell like? What was that like? And I was like, that's called, Lewis called the Necco of Eden. You get people to, to trace that thread, and they realize that it broke, and how God's bringing us back to those moments of shalom, that's listening to their story. That makes good preaching. Because you're just lacing that stuff as you're preaching. Because then you have to know your story. It goes back to the personal. So listening to people's stories, their identity and worth, what questions are they asking, what questions are they asking. Um, you're thinking about demographics. Like, who are these people, and am I speaking their language? Like, am I actually speaking their language? You're listening to the culture that they're a part of. That's the, the, the necessary evil sometimes of, of social media. You're, are, you, are, you, are you using, like, I use a Seinfeld illustration. Like my first year at RUF, Vanderbilt. It's like, yeah, I like Seinfeld. They're like, no, no. Is there anything that's watching that? I use an illustration where I talk, I did control alt delete. Remember when computers had that? They're like, we don't, that's not a thing. We don't have buttons on our devices. Um, so, like, are you listening to people in order to make illustration, in order to make application, in order to know whether or not, like, they lack assurance of faith or assurance of salvation? Are these issues of like, so it is so important to build those bridges to them. Where are your students? So the first question is, where are you? And the second question is, really, where are your students? It's really simple. And then, because here's what happens. We get in our studies, we get in our like offices, our places, our coffee shop, and then we start freaking out over this thing called a talk. Oh gosh. And then we have all these other things like anxiety about am I going to sound dumb? Is this the right? Is this orthodox? All these other issues, and a lot of them are really, really relevant issues. But like we start thinking about this and we become so focused on our talk that we forget them. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? 
And both of those things should always be right there together with the Word. C.H. Spurgeon said you should always hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. So like you're reading the culture, you're reading people, you're listening to people. That's your job, to be an expert. And then to take the Word that you're feasting on into their life. Okay. I know a lot of that is so... Gotcha, Richie. I know all that. But I've got to say it because... It's just that important. Your pastoral one-on-one ministry. Like if you're spending most of your time here, if you're not spending time with students, you're not teaching well. I mean, students, if you're not if you're not doing pastoral ministry with people, I think you may be accurate, but you're not hitting bullseyes a lot. One, they don't know you. Then they also don't trust you, maybe. And you don't know them. The nuances of them. So like that's why like I mean like slip up your day, you can go a million different ways, but slip up your day, like morning study, afternoon people. Try to do that. You can't, I know you can't, but three days out of five, you can do that, that'd be amazing. In other words, are you spending the equal amount of time with people that you're spending in your study and like doing things like that? We all have things that we, we're better at. But I think like your introverts, you need to go to the coffee shop, and your extroverts, you need to go to study, right? Generally speaking. Okay, next. Now, let's talk about the talk. Let's talk about what is this thing. So when I'm sitting down, again, this is just what I've learned over the years. Some of y'all have had, some of y'all can teach this class. Y'all have had sermon classes and all that kind of stuff. Which, might I add, is the weirdest class in the history of school. Preaching class. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so weird. Um... Okay, so what do I do? Here's what I did. First of all, you've got to think about the big story of the Bible. Always think about the big story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, Genesis, Revelation. Like I always start with how does this text fit with the narrative of Scripture? And the place I like to get, like the place where I go, we get that is all of the but especially Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. Jesus opens up the Bible. The Old Testament says, this is me, 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 me. The Bible's about Jesus. I just read a quote, another Spurgeon quote that said, like, if you're not preaching Jesus every single time that you preach, stop immediately and find out how to preach Jesus. Stop preaching. He's like, shut up. Okay? So, like, Jesus is it. The Sunday school answer is the answer, right? How do I find Christ and the gospel in this passage? So this is the very first thing you do. Do you know the big story of the Bible? Now, and then there's... I'm going to write you down. And then I do this. Since clarity is what it's all about. The first thing I do is this. As I'm studying the passage, this is bone dry. This looks like a permanent marker. <laughs> Which would be bad. I've done that before. First thing. And I know this is a one direction song. What is the one thing it's talking about? That's, that's honestly, that's the, that is, I can't tell you how important Because most texts you can preach 50 things about this. But what does he want? You. 
I don't, I'm not ready to preach something unless I know what the one thing is. Like when I was coming here preaching this, I was like, what am I talking about? Clarity. How do you get clarity? Being with Jesus? Being with Jesus' people? So these were, what's the one thing? Have the one thing, either in one word or a sentence, in your mind before you ever go preach it. That's the goal. The one thing. Now, how do you find the one thing? You spend a lot of time in the Scripture and you read it over and over again and you're spending time with people. And it's really not that mysterious. It really is not that mysterious. Um, in fact, like when I, when, I, when I look at my outlines and I go back and look at my outlines, they're always like, that's not very like, cool something. Like I'm preaching tonight. I, I wrote a talk yesterday. I finished my talk for tonight, yesterday afternoon. And that's what it's about. Like, it's about being wanted by God. That's the story of Zacchaeus. Being wanted by God, the seeker, the savior, so what? What does it mean to be wanted by God? That's literally what I'm doing. But have the one thing that you're going to try to find, one thing that you're going to talk about, the one thing. What are you struggling with that maybe they're struggling with too? That can inform your one thing. What is the clear thing in this passage that is pointing to this thing that you want to say that your people need to hear and that the Spirit is lighting a fire inside of you? What is the movie and the music and the language and the contextualization? What do you do when you find the one thing? Then you're ready to do this. And by the way, this is the same way I write a song. Okay. You come up with your points. And you know what the points do? They just reinforce the one thing. That's it. That's it. This is the hook. These are the verses. The verses always come back and reinforce the hook. That's what it does. So that's clarity. What's the one thing? And then you go with the points. Not a lot of points. But I think we make this like way, way more complicated than it needs to be. You're bringing structure and form to something that's abstract so that other people can consume it. This is the game changer for me. Is that when you start thinking about how they're hearing it, then you're on your way to really effective preaching. Like you're starting to think like, I want to say this to them. What's the best way to say it? And then you go back to being alone with Jesus and with God's people. It always feeds you right back to that same thing. And so what are your points? And then like, and then the question you can start asking yourself, are these points, are they really hitting the one thing? Here's what most talks, most sermons that I've heard, the points are not related. They're good. Um, they're like interesting points. They're even biblical points. They're even in the text. Right? But I don't think that's a sermon. I think that's a commentary. Don't know the difference between a sermon and a commentary or a Sunday school class? Like you're just walking through it. It means this, it means this, it means this. That's good, but it's not a sermon. A sermon is like a piece of art that people eat. It's like an edible creation. 
And what you're bringing in is one thing that this passage that you have mulled over and you've feasted on that you have, it's about this one thing because that's all any of us can hold in our heads. And these points are going to reinforce this one thing. And so when I do my points, it's like this. I do my points, and the points, all, all these things always come from Scripture, by the way. Yeah, do I need to say that? I need to say that. You're using the Bible. The points are reinforcing the one thing. But here's what you're doing. You're explaining how this is done in the passage, and then you're illustrating it. And just listen to your favorite preachers on how, maybe not using their illustrations, don't. <laughs> or give them credit, right? Because you'll feel guilty if you don't. Okay. Illustrate, explain, illustrate. That reinforces this whole thing, but the whole thing is forcing this. You're explaining what this means. You're explaining where this is in the passage. And don't spend a lot of time on this. Like, when you're explaining something that's in a passage, you don't have to do all of the hard work. Look at the commentaries to be concise. It is very hard to be concise. Famous quote from Mark Twain. He was writing someone and he said, I wanted to write you a short letter, but I didn't have time, so here's a long one. <laughs> so you have to do all the background work in this explanation to be concise in about two sentences what the verse is saying. Like, so you're talking about Zacchaeus. You can talk about Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus for four minutes. You can do that. Or you can talk about who Zacchaeus is in three sentences. Who is he? He's a chief tax collector, which means he's a ruler, which means he's a really big deal. He was short and he was rich. He was loaded. He's like a first century Jewish Danny DeVito. <laughs> that took like half, that took an hour. Does that make sense? Like I didn't just rattle that off. I had to sit still and think about how do I talk about Zacchaeus? Because they don't know the wee little man. And you can choose a lot of different things, but you've got to nail it down. What are you talking about? And if you find out what you're talking about, then you can begin to narrow down everything I'm trying to say. Like that's good, but it's not great. Like, in other words, that doesn't fit the one thing. That's really interesting. But what I see a lot of times, and I know I've done this in preaching, is you have interesting things that are interesting to you, and you go on rabbit trails, they are snoozed They're gone. And you, and you forgot what your one thing was about. Sometimes it's because you're not prepared. It takes a lot of time to do this. That's why you've got to really fight and defend your time. Right? I know there's species about that in some of your cases. But this is to be super clear. And then three. I mean, that's literally, that's literally what I do every single time I preach. And I don't know why they asked me to do this. It's very humbling to ask me to do this. I've taught, like, t- while, they, while they asked me to teach this, I think it's maybe because I've taught all in like 10 years in a row or something, that for whatever reason they kind of like what I do. That's what I do. That's it. I spend a whole lot of time with Jesus, and I try to get my shame out of my friends. And my wife loves me. And I'm a train wreck. And I'm just trying to show up and keep doing this. But this process becomes really, really fun. Now, the third part. Way down here. Proclaim. Okay, we have 12 minutes. Let's do this. Delivery. There's so many things I'm leaving out. 
But I want to have some questions. Brian Hebig, former campus minister at Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, now he's in Greenville, South Carolina. He's also like, if you were to listen to my favorite preacher, go listen to Brian Hebig. He's amazing. He's like the best. I remember talking to him when I was still in seminary. I was volunteering for OIM. And I was like, Brian, like, how do you preach and stuff? And he said, like, yeah. You know, Ben Brian, Brian? You know, Brian? Jason Jackson? Brian, I'm good. And so, he's the clearest dude ever. And he's super cool and chill. But he said, because I'm not. I'm like, what? And like, he's just like, he never, uh, he's just always, but he's super precise. We're very different styles. He said, being up there, is learning how to become more comfortable in your own skin, not trying to be somebody else. And now we go back to the first two. Personal time with Jesus, relationships. You see? So it's like you being up there is really, really hard. And so a lot of times the reason we put on other people's voices is because we're like not connected to ourselves. And so we're like scared to yell or something, unless you're like naturally yelling. Are you trying to be funny and it's weird because you're not funny? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't be funny if you're not funny. So how do you do that? Being comfortable in your own skin? That's just another way of talking about sanctification. Like, growing in sanctification means, like, knowing Jesus loves me and I'm really messed up and I'm also, like, dying to the old and living to the new. And so, like, learning to, like, be kinder to yourself in some ways. And so the first thing, so that all of that's going on and then you step up there and by the way, this is so much repetition. You step up there, the very first thing you do before you proclaim, take a really deep breath. Just, that's what I do. Just take a really deep breath. Because if you don't, if your body doesn't get oxygen, your brain doesn't get oxygen, it can't access your dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. Your back and like your reptilian brain, fight, flight, or freeze. Because you're not getting enough oxygen. But if you breathe, you need your whole brain, as much brain as you've got, kind of breathing. Just chill out, just relax. You know about you know more about the Bible than they do. Probably. <laughs> right? You get a good night's sleep. It's stressful, it's hard. You pray, pray, pray. You relax. God is with you and he loves you and he loves these people. Read the passage. Try to make eye contact with people as much as you can. And you can do that. Here's a cool thing, y'all. In delivery. You can make eye contact and be connected to people if you know your text. You can connect people. Because here, do you know how you can know your text? It's clear. You've got, like, your outline is simple and clear and concise. And that's hard work. But you know it, because it's like inside of you at this point. And you've got your notes there, in case like something really weird happens, a weird thought or something, you're like, oh, I need to read now. Uh, or like have a quote, but like don't spend your time hanging out here. And so everything's about this one thing, the clarity, explaining, illustrating, driving home illustrations. We can do a whole talk on how do you do good illustrations. Y'all could probably help me on that. So how do you do illustrations? But you're doing all these things because it's so simple and clear, and you're just up there talking. Now, Embrace how different you are than everybody else. Speak up, but don't yell. We yell because we're nervous and we aren't breathing. Or you yell because you're a spaz like I am. 
Um, my very first sermon that I ever preached, it was at Bellhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi. I was a seminary student. My wife came, and it was on Ephesians 2. And <laughs> so after it was over, she was like, sweetheart, you yelled the whole time. <laughs> like she told me, I was like, uh, and, and she said it very, very kindly, like, sweetie, you yelled the whole time. She said it was like an airplane that took off and never landed. <laughs> right? So like, if you'll breathe and slow down, if you know the one thing and you know your points, you can be yourself, you can breathe. And I really think like a TED Talk kind of approach is really effective. So 25, 30 minutes that you're doing this. And give yourself a break. This is really hard. Um, And you're always going to care what people think. I talk to younger pastors now. I can't believe I can say that. I talk to younger pastors now. But, and they'll tell me things like, I just want to care zero what anyone thinks. I just want to go up there and not care at all and not be all like weird after I preach with my wife in a bad mood. That's like when you desperately are going to get in a fight with your spouse. It's because like they're not going to say, they're not going to say enough or they're going to say too little or something. And it's just going to be weird. You're, you're, it's going to be hard to get through Downton Abbey at that point. Uh, <laughs> it's always hard to get through. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's close to the uh, So, but like, you're always going to care what people think. And part of that is like good. Zero percent, maybe psychopath. <laughs> right? You're always going to care. I had a counselor in Memphis because I told him that when I was like early 30s, I was a seat conference pastor, blah, blah, blah. I was telling him, I was like, I just want to go. I was going to go do some conference. And I was like, I just want to go and just not care zero or zero percent. He goes, that's very unrealistic. That's very unrealistic. I was like, what do you mean, man? I was like, very spiritual. He's like, very unrealistic. He said, why can't you just like kind of be happy if you care like 60% one time instead of 90? Like, yes. You're always going to care because you're in your body. So like if you can go and realize you're always going to care, it's what I call the sermon vulture. The sermon vulture is always going to be there. He always is. So every time after I preach, I've been doing this for a long time. Every time after I preach, I always be like, uh, get away. I always just go be by myself. That's just, that was terrible. I hate myself. No, this is true. I, like I go to this place, but now I'm like not surprised that I go to this place. I can actually have a conversation with a vulture like on my, at my shoulder. Like, hey man, how's it going? Yeah. Here we go. I'm neurotic. <laughs> Drenched in the gospel, you strive to be comfortable in your own skin. It's authenticity. People will listen to you. You be you in Jesus. And do the hard work of being clear. Boom. Just do the hard work of being clear. And what you mean is clear. And ask the people that love you, am I being clear? Am I being clear when I'm doing this? Ask them. And it's going to hurt your feelings. It's just going to hurt your feelings. It's okay. It's going to hurt my feelings. Tell me I'm being clear. Like, that wasn't very clear. That just wasn't, I didn't understand that. And it may mean that, that they didn't understand it, maybe they would be about something else. But like, clarity is, is everything. Okay. Five minutes for questions. I just zipped through that. Y'all know why I spent so much time on the personal part? What do I think I spent so much time on? Counseling, spiritual direction, best thing you can do for you. Get a good counselor. Just get it all out. Yeah. Two questions. Um, this is the biggest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so back to relational, I love what you said about Shalom, the shattering of Shalom, the restoration of Shalom. 
So when you ask the question, so you know, when did you, when's the last time you felt peace, or when, when is the time in your life when you felt peace? What what do you do in the situation where they say, I don't know, I don't I don't know that they're asking. That's real common. Yeah. You just sit with them in that. Yeah. Like, Man, that's sad. Isn't it? What's that like? What are you doing? Like, talk to me. They have before. They can't access it. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. That's one of the reasons they're sitting with you, so they're looking for peace. And, and so you're just listening to them going, wow, man, that is just really hard. A lot of them will say that. So you just, basically, you're just being empathetic. You're communicating to them what they, what they Yeah. Do. Honestly, you're, living, you're giving them time to be still enough and to breathe enough where they can, like, get out of fight, flight, or freeze, yeah. that they can begin to access parts of their brain that will remember when they were had peace. Yeah. That's part of what you're doing. You're just being still with them. Yeah. Because they're just like, oh, they're anxious. Like, just being still, like, being a still, loving presence. And then they go like, oh, I'm feeling, I've had students go like, right now. Oh, okay, let's talk about that. What do you think that's about? They love my weird little office at Vanderbilt with my weird little Beatles stuff and Cardinals thing. They said, this is like a little sexual. <laughs> Especially my really broken students, they just love how warm it, just like love being here. And they just, and it's why, it's not because of me. They experience the spirit there. It's honestly because I just sit there. I'm just like sitting there. Sometimes I'm like, ah, oh. just being. I'm just literally physically being with them. Yeah. Other questions. How long does it take you to prep like a talk, or I don't know, really a preach on Sunday morning or Wednesday night? And what was that process of like doing all the hard work to make it clear? I assume it's shorter now than it was when we first started. It, it, okay, so I get, I can find out the one thing faster than I used to. So you get better at that. You can find the one thing better, but you've got to like keep doing it. Like the difference between a master and a student is the master has failed more times than the student has attempted it. That good? So like that's what it is. It's just doing it over and over and over and over again. And if you don't love the process. Like, that's maybe like a, that's a thing to like think, I hate teaching, I hate saying, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian or Jesus doesn't love you. It just means that ministry is going to be very taxing if you don't like teaching or preaching the Bible. Or you have a different emphasis, and that's totally fine, but own that emphasis, right? But, okay, so I'm, I find the one thing faster, but that's what I'm looking for. What is the one thing I'm going to say? And then, and then I run probably three or four times a week. And I write, like, write, my illustrations, applications, come when I'm running. And so when I'm running, that's just for me. And the reason is, is that you can't access the critic part of your brain and the creative part of your brain at the same time. So when the critic comes in, bye-bye creative part. But when you're running, the critic's, like, busy doing something else. He is. And so the other part of your creative part, creative part of your brain, you're, like, you're as creative as a second grader, man when you're running. So that's how I do it. That's why stillness is so important and breathing is, is the good parts of your sermon come when you've set, spent time with the word but then you're really thinking about the talk. And you're just like, I, I would say, I wouldn't give a time thing on it. Sometimes you're, you have time constraints. I like to spend as much, I would love to spend as much time as I possibly could. On it. I enjoy it. But, uh, but I would say, it's just hard I don't think someone could come up with a good 30-minute talk in less than four hours, maybe six hours. Um, especially when you're first starting out. I mean, I think 10 hours. I've spent hours and hours and hours. 
I remember spending like, spent like nine hours on a ten-minute gospel presentation when I was in seminary. <laughs> I was like, I'm terrible at this, but I enjoyed it. So, other question. Autumn. Um, yeah, one thing I... It's, it's both encouraging and a little overwhelming, yeah. Relationship and study. Yeah. Which is another thing that I wish. So here's the thing. We're, we're grinding up against the philosophy of industry of our church at this point. Which I get. That's what I'm saying. That's super complicated. Um, like you, most of it, you're not going to have 10 hours. Like you're just not going to have 10 hours to spend. Um, but I would think you need as much quiet, solitude study as you can get. It's more about like, it's almost more quality than quantity. The quality is like real concentration time. Um, that's, and again, a lot of that's me. But it's real concentration time. But I just think like, so I don't know how to even chart out how many hours I spend um, because I do it running or I do it driving, commuting or something. But it's just time that you're praying, sort of letting the word steep. I like that, steep. Like a like tea. Other questions? Great question. Yeah. Uh, you talked about illustration and explanation. You talk about application. Oh gosh, I did talk about application. So my so what point? My third point is all application. That's what I did. You've never heard me preach. I don't always do a so what, but application like that's thank you, God, idiot. Okay, so application is everything that flows from all these things, right? And so I'm doing little applications here, but I'm really saving the mother load for my third point. Because I'm just, I'm just loaded from there. And because at this point, I'm, I'm explaining the text. I'm illustrating what the text is. I'm driving home this one. But it's all building to this one thing. Okay, so now what? And so my like, so what, this, like tonight that I'll preach, is all going to this Brian Stevenson quote where he says, the reason I do what I do, he's the guy, just mercy guy. The reason I do what I do is because I'm broken and everyone else is broken. And so, when you experience brokenness that healed, you want to heal other people's brokenness. Period. That's what Zacchaeus did. That's so what. And so, driving that home. Are you admitting that you're broken like everyone else, or not? And then, how have you experienced God's finding you in your lost brokenness? And then, and then, how is the Lord pushing you out into brokenness other people? So the third, the third point. Because I got confused when I was first preaching, that when I would do this, I would get like. These points would get kind of muddled when I would when I would do my application. I would do application and be like, yeah, this is kind of, maybe this is like you. Boom, boom. Next one. Right? I'm, and so I like to say that all, that's just the way I like to organize it. But application is like, you haven't preached unless you apply it. So thank you. I, yeah, I apologize. I that. Done. But application is everything, but I like to say that where I can just apply. Then I'm off notes. Then it's like me in my office. I'm going like, hey, this is me and you. What's going on in your life? But it's because I found the one thing, and now I'm just applying the one thing to real time. And I'm like taking in things that they've said, conversations I've had. I mean, I'm getting, I want to get as close to that person as I possibly can in application. That's a great question. Uh, one more. Yes.
Because I think that's an important part that gets overlooked a lot. And I think that that helps people understand how they're processing and what they're talking about. When you can explain the brain process, this is a legitimate thing. You're not crazy. This is literally what's happening here. Yeah. Super helpful. Kurt Thompson's Anatomy of the Soul, I highly recommend it. It's a great book, and other books, but that's a great one that explains like, what's going on neurologically. He explains the spirituality of neurobiology, or the neurobiology of spirituality. It's amazing. Great point. Okay, let's break, go to the bathroom, and we'll come back, and then we'll do principles. <laughs>